0: And here we go. Welcome to the Morning Brew with As always, I'm your host, Stuart Brooking. And my guest today is the one, the only, Zach McKennell from the Blue Bloods College Football Podcast. We're recording this pre-draft. By the time you hear this, it will be post-draft. We're going to talk a little bit later on about a couple quarterbacks that may either get drafted or signed this undrafted free agents. some guys I really like. But if you hear us talking about pre-draft and where we think they might go or, or those type of things, it's because this is recorded pre-draft, but you're hearing it post-draft. So, Zach, welcome back to the podcast. You're the Joel Klatt to my, I guess, Colin Cowherd, I would say. So, welcome back.
1: Hey, man, appreciate you having me. Always love to jump on. And, you know, I, I would say talk college football. It's more debate
0: college football with us, man. So, uh, I appreciate it. I agree 100%. All right, let's start with this. Um, I sent you a, a rundown of the show, but we're going to kind of go in a different direction because this is something I wanted to start off with. Um, the F, I think it was like the FPI football index came out with the recent college football rankings, and they had Clemson as the number four ranked team in the country. And Zach, when, when Jeff posted that in the college football group chat, I said, I don't think Clemson finishes the year inside the top 10. And I, and maybe that's a hot take because I believe that fully. I watched how bad DJ was for them last year. I watched the utter resistance from Dabo Sweeney to even dabble into the transfer portal. And I can't help but to think that Clemson isn't going to be that good. And it it's not the fact that they don't have a good quarterback because they made it to the college football playoffs with a guy like Kelly Bryant. So, I mean... It, they've shown they can do it, but I think the thing is DJ is so bad, and maybe that's harsh for me to say because this is a guy who was a top recruit in the country and all this stuff, and he played really well versus Notre Dame, and everybody was ooing and awing. but Zach, like, I'm not sold, and I think if they roll DJ out there, it's going to be a long, long season for For Clemson. And I'm not saying he's gonna be on the hot seat, but I'm saying Dabo is gonna have a lot of questions to answer this time next year. You know, um originally, like you know, I was a I I
1: was a Dabo fan, like when he first got started. It was like he was on the come up, he was the new guy, he was the guy who was gonna knock off Saban. He built this program from nothing, he was the guy Clemson took a chance on when he you know, let's go back to what he first took over. Nobody w- thought he was going to stick as the head coach of Clemson. They just kind of gave up. It was almost like he was going to be the scapegoat. In my opinion, they said, let's give this unproven guy, the interim head coaching job. If, it, if he falls on his face, we're going to have good bounce to fire him and let's go get us a superstar. And, Dabo won over the team, won over the fans, started winning, got a Taj Boyd at quarterback, which turned into a Deshaun Watson, which turned into a Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the the recruiting classes from, like, the late 2000s up until the 2010s, 2014s, 15s, I mean, were right up there with the best of them. But as he's gotten to kind of the pinnacle of his career I feel like he's rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Like he, you know, when you look at a Nick Saban, the Nick Saban that took LSU and won the title in 03 is not the same Nick Saban that you hear talk today. He's, he's evolved with college football. He's evolved to the transfer portal. He's evolved to NIL. He's evolved to recruiting. I mean, he's also just evolved to college football. Back in the day, Nick Saban would win national championships with defenses that allowed like six points per game. And his offense was not that good. And they were going to run Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram down your throat 45 times. That was the game plan. And now Around 2015-2014, he brings in Lane Kiffin. He understands that it's the it's the time of the spread offense. That 2013 loss to Gus Malzahn with Nick Marshall, I think, really was eye-opening. The loss to Manziel with that Texas A&M spread offense, I think, made Saban say, okay, if I don't evolve, like this isn't going to be my conference anymore. And he brings in Lane Kiffin, and they get a two attack of Aloha, a Mac Jones, now a Bryce Young. So, Dabo's unwillingness to adapt to college football is going to cost him his job in the long run I think and I think he's become almost a villain now of college football which is something that if you would have told a college football fan in 2013 they would have never imagined Davos Sweeney would be the villain of college football but I agree with you I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna win the ACC this year I think Pitt's a better team than them this year Miami's on the come up this year. And I I still think those two teams are arguably better. I think Virginia Tech's going to be really good this year as well. There's a lot of teams in the ACC that I think have caught, not really caught Clemson, but Clemson has some major holes. They were very young last year. How are those players going to develop? Will Shipley at running back is a huge question mark, and they just don't have the talent at wide receiver either that they had in those big runs to the national championship. And you mentioned the quarterback play hasn't been there. We'll see what DJ does, but. I think ultimately this falls in the lapse, too, of Dabo Sweeney not evolving to college football. And then you lose Brent Venables, and then you lose Tony Elliott. You lose a bunch of recruits. you got some guys transfer out. We're going to find out exactly if Dabo's ready to adapt to that. But I agree with you. I don't think he's going to. I would agree they're not going to finish in the top 10. I would imagine they possibly might not finish in the top 15.
0: Here's the thing, Zach. I was listening to you talk there, and you know you who know, you described to me? You described Roy Williams, the former basketball coach at UNC. As the world was evolving into the three-point game and being able to shoot the three, Roy, and I know this because my my roommate and best friend is a UNC fan, and as, as the game evolved, he stuck with the back to the basket center, and the the pound the ball down low type of thing. And he didn't adapt. And we saw what happened, not this past season, but two, I guess it'd be two basketball seasons now where they didn't make the tournament. They bring in a new coach, a new style. And what happens? They make a run to the national championship because they're able to evolve and play a, play the way basketball is played today. It's the same thing you're seeing with, with um, Dabo Sweeney, because here's the thing with Dabo. It's great that you had Deshaun Watson. Fantastic. Great. You had Trevor Lawrence again, fantastic. But when you watch guys like urban Meyer and we can, you know, I've been an urban Meyer hater, but I don't hate for what he did in college. I hate for what he did in the NFL. When you watch in college, even at Florida at Utah at Ohio state, wherever he was, it was, we lost Tim Tebow. Okay. Let's re- let's replace. We lost Bra- Braxton Miller. Okay. Let's replace. We walked, we lost, uh, you know, JT Dan- or JT, Barrett okay fine let's bring in somebody else like it's been just plug and play plug and play plug and play where when you watched yes it's been that way for the most part you know it was oh we lost to Sean now we got Kelly Bryant Kelly Bryant couldn't throw his way out of a wet paper sack versus Alabama so now let's bring in Trevor Lawrence but then it, the ships kind of stopped there I feel like I feel like you know it's been well DJ is kind of the best we got I I don't like the transfer portal, so I'm not digging into the transfer portal. I could have maybe gotten a guy like a JT Daniels or um, a a Jackson Dart who would have tore it up there at Clemson, I believe. And then instead, you just roll with the guy who showed you last year he was not that great of a quarterback. Yeah, and
1: I mean – The other flip side is you could say that DJ wasn't helped by his O-line. He had no weapons. I mean, Shipley went down with an injury that kept him out for a lot of the season. Justin Ross wasn't 100%, and they really didn't have anybody else outside of him. But I don't think they loaded up on weapons for him. I mean, looking at the grand scheme of things, I think when you look at the 2016 season, 2017, Clemson is right there with Bama, right there with Georgia, right there with Ohio State, the top of the top. Right now – I don't think you could put Clemson in the conversation with those teams. I, I don't think they got have the depth. I don't think they have the dominance on the offensive line, the weapons, the quarterback. The only place Clemson's still as strong as they were in those national championship runs is the D-line. They got some studs in the front in the front four, really even the, the front seven, but they but they lack I, I feel like talent elsewhere. I think losing Andrew Booth is going to be a big loss. He was a stud at the corner position. We'll see. You have a lot of young guys, man, and if those guys don't develop, it could be another long season
0: for Clemson. I agree. All right, well, let's transition into this. Let's. You're you're now Al- you're an Auburn fan. I almost said Alabama fan. You would have killed me there, but uh, you're an Auburn fan, and you know Auburn's been going through some ups and downs. I would say would be what I would describe the football team as of late. When you look at Auburn, you know you lost Bo Nix. I guess you could call it a loss, or maybe you. You can call it a plus, depending on how you view Bo Nix. How, first of all, who's the quarterback? And then second of all, what do you expect from the sovereign football team, kind of record-wise, and maybe what we're going to see on the field? Um,
1: Well, I mean, the short answer is no one knows who the quarterback is. It's going to be a battle between Zach Calzada, who wasn't wasn't able to play in the spring game from Texas A&M, TJ Finley's still there. And then you got Oregon transfer Robbie Ashford out of Hoover, Alabama, who was a high four-star prospect and just couldn't find his place up there in Oregon. So they really kind of made a trade for Robbie Ashford and Bo Nix. For me, if you're asking me who I think should start, I think it should be Robbie Ashford. I think when you look at Finley, he probably has the livest arm of the group but he just lacks the mobility that you need to play in the SEC. I mean, you have to be able to get out of the pocket and make plays, and sometimes he's just too big to be that guy. He's not a Cam Newton that can move at that size, and he's just too slow to get out of the pocket. And also, his accuracy just isn't there. And when you play against the high-level defenses in the SEC, if you're not accurate, those turn into turnovers, and you're not able to extend drives, and you're going to have to be able to throw the mid-range, and he just can't he cannot throw over the middle of the field. And so that's a big minus for me. We've seen two years now where Finley hasn't been the answer where, where he wound up. So I feel like he's got a fair shot. He's just not the guy. So I think it's going to come down to Calzada and Ashford. And for me, I feel like Ashford is the better athlete. And in the spring game, he played really, really well. He did a great job making plays when his feet, when things broke down, and also he can throw the deep ball beautifully and hit some great passes at that ten to fifteen yard range. That I've, I really came away from the spring game thinking Robbie Ashford was the answer, but Zach Calzada has the trump card. And if you're if you're an Auburn fan, following Auburn football, the trump card is always have you beaten Bama, and right now. Zach Calzada has that because he led Texas A&M to a huge upset in Kyle field over Alabama when nobody thought Texas A&M had a chance going into that game with the injuries that they had at coming off of getting drugged by Arkansas. Nobody thought they were even going to hang with Bama. And Zach Calzada led that team and threw for like 300 yards and three touchdowns. The game went in drive. He played a hell of a game. But for me, he really is just seems like a game manager. I don't feel like he's the gamer that I want to see in, a, in an Auburn quarterback. So for me, I'm going to lean Ashford, but I think Calzada has the trump card that Nick's had his whole career, where he beat Bama his freshman year. Once you beat Bama, there it, it almost just seems like Auburn's going to roll with you at that point.
0: Record wise, what are we looking at? Are we looking, is this a six and five team, an eight, or a, I guess it'd be like six and six team, an eight and five team? Is this a, a 10 win team? What kind of Auburn team are we looking at?
1: Um, they're gonna have a really tough stretch. They have a really tough schedule because Penn State looks like they are going to be loaded this year. I'm really excited to see what James Franklin does with that Penn State team. Um, they got a lot of trap games, man. Penn State at home is a must-win. I think you you're gonna have to you got four big games. I feel like you got A&M coming into Jordan Hare, you got to go to Ole Miss. then you got road games at Georgia and Alabama. You're going to have to win one of those games. Like those like you're going to have to, I would think, say two and two at least. But you're going to you cannot go zero and four against Ole Miss, A&M, Bama and Georgia. You're going to have to win at least one of those games, possibly get two and two. If they don't win any of those games and they lose to Penn State that's five losses and you still got a Mississippi state team who is on the come up. You still got to play Arkansas. Who's on the come up. you got a trap game at home against Missouri. I mean, it could get ugly quick if Auburn doesn't win the games they're supposed to, and doesn't upset a team or two. So for me, they're going to, I think, I feel like their ceiling is probably fourth in the West, man. I think if you can hit seven wins with the schedule and the youth on this team, that's about where I see this team sitting. And I mean, Really and truly, if things don't work out with the QB position, the O-line doesn't take a step up, they don't find a replacement for Roger McQuery at corner, it could get real ugly on the planes at Auburn. And um, I think your floor is probably a four-win season. Your ceiling is probably an eight or nine if if you get a big upset against Georgia or Alabama.
0: So what you're telling me is <laughs> you're not really sure you have to wait and watch because four wins and eight wins is a big a big difference. All right, yeah. so – the main reason you first came onto my channel, or I guess my podcast, would be to argue with me about Cincinnati and how you thought Cincinnati was actually worthy of being a top four team when I was not a believer, and all that stuff. Years coming past, Dustin Ritter's gone, Jerome Ford's gone, Cook, you know Kobe Bryant, the ch- Sauce gardener. I don't think Cincinnati will be that team. But who, in your opinion, Zach, do you think can be that that kind of smaller school team that comes out of nowhere and competes for a top four top four spot in the college football playoffs? Um, I don't th- – you know, the short answer without, you know, kind of
1: listing, like, the top team that potentially could do it is um, nobody because I don't think anybody – you know, when you look at what Cincinnati had to do to get that shot, the year before they had to be in the New Year Six Bowl and take Georgia down to a last-second opportunity in the Peach Bowl in that New Year Six game, and they had to be preseason ranked top ten. I don't think there's a group of five team that's probably going to be ranked in the top 12 this year. So it's going to be really, really hard for them, in my opinion, to – have a group of five teams to to get there unless it's just pure chaos up up top like a four like like a four loss team wins to pack 12 the big 12 just goes into chaos now that Lincoln Riley left I mean they're going to need just absolute chaos and they're going to need Georgia or Alabama to take a large step back because we know if those two teams finish with one loss and it's to the other team they're in the playoffs so if you're looking for a candidate your best case, I think, is probably BYU. BYU will probably be ranked around that 15th spot to start the season. They've returned a lot of talent on offense. The one question I have about BYU is, can you play a lick of defense? And if they can bring that defense along, BYU has a great shot to make some waves. And they have. And Stu, we, we both talk about you have to have the schedule if you're a group of five team. When you look at BYU, they got to go play Oregon. They got to go play the Big 12 champs at Baylor. They got to go play Arkansas. And I believe they also play Notre Dame. So that's four potential top 15 matchups that you could play on your schedule before you even get into some of the other games BYU has. And also BYU is going to be helped by the fact that they're about to be a Power 5 team, I believe, next year. So th- th- they kind of have that, okay, we're a group of five team, but we're really not. I think Houston could also fall in that category. Houston won 11 straight games from week two up until the conference championship where they lost to Cincinnati, and then they ended the season beating Auburn. So I think Houston could be a team to look at, too. They they have a lot of talent on the offensive side again, but they lose Marcus Jones to some of their key defensive guys. So if I had to pick two teams to be the favorites out of the group of five, BYU and Houston will probably be my two picks. Good
0: choices. Good choices. Um, I'm just glad you didn't say Cincinnati again. I'm really, really glad you didn't say Cincinnati. We, <laughs> this podcast would have been extended with just us arguing about Cincinnati, but I think that's a given. All right, here's the thing, Zach. I'm going to be honest with you. You know this because you've, you've been in a group chat with me. You've heard me talk. You've listened to my podcast. I was a big Trevor Lawrence guy. I, I'm still a big Trevor Lawrence guy. I think Trevor Lawrence – was the best quarterback prospect coming out that we had seen since Andrew Luck. So last year, when I started hearing comparisons f- about Quinn Ewers to Trevor Lawrence, I was like, "Well, dang, I got I gotta go check this Quinn Ewers kid out." And then he goes to Ohio State, leaves football early, or leaves high school early. That's one thing you could say. Well, does he really love football, or is he just doing it for the money? There's that question. And then he leaves Ohio State, which I don't blame him here. I mean, C.J. Stroud had almost a Heisman he – had a Heisman caliber year. So, I mean, like, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, oh, I'm going to stay here and beat him out when this guy ain't going anywhere? I mean, it's almost like Jacob and Jake Fromm all over again as far as that, that goes. So he leaves and goes to Texas. Now he's in a quarterback battle with Hudson Card. I think it's Quinn Ewers' job to lose more than it is um, – quarterback controversy in my opinion but when you look at Quinn Ewers and you look at a guy who's drawing comparisons to a guy like Trevor Lawrence who is one of the greatest college quarterbacks we've ever seen who prospect-wise had all the talent that all these scouts were looking at what what, do, what are the expectations for a guy like Quinn Ewers and, and the University of Texas who? just landed their biggest quarterback prospect since Vince Young. And now I know they've had Colt McCoy and they've gone to a national championship with him and they've had some good looks there at the quarterback position, but they've never had a guy like this since VY left. And they won that national championship with Vince Young. And Texas, just like USC, just like Miami, just like Florida has been holding on and waiting for that moment that their knight in shining armor comes in. And could it be Quinn Ewers? The question I have to ask you is, what are some realistic expectations this year for Quinn Yours and going forward until we assume he enters the NFL draft if, he, if he's that guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people were critical of the transfer, saying that if he was the next Trevor Lawrence, he wouldn't have transferred. But I feel like it's an unfair comparison because if people remember, I mean, he comes to campus as a high schooler. So he wasn't ever going to play last year. I mean, let's just put it like, I mean, he, he got there and like, I think it was like August 20th, like around August yeah. 20th, the season's in two weeks. There's you're playing quarterback in a power five school. I don't care if Tom Brady reincarnated got there two <laughs> weeks before the season, you don't have an understanding of the system enough to go out there and play. And on top of that, if you remember Trevor Lawrence didn't start for Clemson for the first four games. And then he took over for Kelly Bryant. So it's an unfair comparison to compare Kelly Bryant and C.J. Stroud. If Kelly Bryant was out there putting up stats like C.J. Stroud was. Kelly Bryant couldn't throw. Kelly Bryant couldn't exactly, throw. Exactly. So uh, everyone who makes that comparison and says, well, Trevor Lawrence didn't have to transfer. It's like, yeah, well, he didn't have C.J. Stroud in front of him. C.J. Stroud is going to be a top three pick next year. Ease up. Because I promise you, if C.J. Stroud was in front of Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence wouldn't have seen the field if he was putting up stats like C.J. Stroud was. Uh, C.J. Stroud was a legit Heisman candidate. So the unfair comparisons from the Ohio State fans need to stop. And it was ju- it's the same thing that Stetson Bennett is not the best quarterback on Georgia. He's going to take the first snap this year because he's a national championship winner and because he's earned that right to keep his job. And that's just kind of what the Kelly Bryant and C.J. Stroud situation is. C.J. Stroud did enough to keep his job. If C.J. Stroud goes out there in Ohio State's eight and four, Quinn Ewers would have started next year for Ohio State, but he he got them to the penalty. He lost to Michigan, not his fault, though. The, the the defense that allowed like 600 yards rushing, that's their fault. And it was bound to happen. You won like 10 straight. It, Michigan was going to get you eventually. It wasn't going to last forever. So when I look at Quinn Ewers, man, I thought the comparisons were legit. And it's not that he's a similar prospect to Lawrence because he's not as big. They're a different style of quarterback. The only thing it is, is he's the most accomplished quarterback we've seen come out of high school since Trevor Lawrence. And he's been the consensus number one prospect. When you look at the accuracy, the accomplishments, the gamer mentality of winning state titles, playing at the highest high school level. Because when you look at that Lawrenceville area in Georgia, you look at where Ewers was playing in Texas and you look at South Florida. And then probably the L.A. area in California. There's no more. There's not a higher level of high school football than those four areas. So he's playing against the best of the best. He's he's putting on a show. I mean, this kid threw for like four thousand yards at like 15 as a sophomore. I mean, he he's done it. He's earned the praise in my opinion. For me, expectation wise, Texas should be a Big 12 title contender. And for him, you you have to be in contention for Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. You, you are the five-star. You've, you've, you've got your excuse card to get out of Ohio State. Now I need you to put it up on the field. You've got arguably the best running back in the country and Bajon Robinson around you. The wide receiving core was young last year, but it's loaded this year. The O-line is, I, I believe, four out of five starters return. You're going to have a good O-line you're playing in a conference where outside of Oklahoma state and uh, Baylor, nobody has really has a tough defense. You should be putting up numbers. Like the excuses are run out. You had your excuse here at Ohio state. I need yours to throw for over 300 yard. I mean, 3000 yards. I need them to put up over 30 passing and touchdowns. And I need the interceptions to stay at single digits. I would say that for me, would be an awesome first step for his career. I don't feel like that's asking for too much. I'm not asking for a 5,000-yard season or nothing like that. I just want to see accuracy. I want to see command of the Texas offense, and I want to see Texas play competitive football and not be getting drugged by Baylor and TCU and all these teams that consistently they let us down in. And the the crowning moments, too, he's got to go up against Alabama this year. Dallas Turner... Will Anderson, Josh Jobe, Henry Toto, the list. I mean, I could name 50, 15 guys on that Bama defense that you're going to have to deal with. We're going to find out what Quinn Ewers is made out of week two when they got to go play Alabama.
0: Here's the thing. How much does this help having a guy like Steve Sar- Sarkeesian? I mean, you look at what he did for Sam Darnold's career. I mean, Sam Darnold got drafted number three overall. Like, let's, let's not forget about that, all right? That guy went number three overall, and we all know that didn't pan out at all and there were a lot of interception problems with Sam Darnold and I think I obviously Quinn yours is more accomplished but just watching him throw throwing motion wise the way he moves he kind of reminds me a little bit of a Sam Darnold not as big Darnold's bigger taller you know all that way but he has that big long winding throwing motion I did watch some spring practice of of Quinn I think Quinn Tightened it up a little bit, which is great because at Ohio State, it was sloppy. It was all over the place. But being able to have that that guy who can move, which I don't think Hudson Card is that guy at Texas. I think he's more of your traditional pocket passer, Jacob Eason, um, Jake Fromm type of a passer. When you look at a guy like Quinn Ewers, who when the pocket collapses, he can move, make some throws. Talk about what that does and not only what that does, but also talk about, Steve Sarkeesian being his quarterback or his head coach, the offensive mind that Steve Sarkeesian is? Um, I mean, I think you just have to look at what he did at Alabama.
1: I mean, everybody who Steve Sarkeesian has focused on on the offensive side of the ball has improved their play. I mean, I think he's in a player-friendly system. And I think when you look at Quinn Ewers, and that's what you need when you look at a lot of quarterbacks that struggle in college football it's because they go to defensive minded head coaches that aren't trusting their OCs. Nick Saban is a defensive guy, but he trusts Lane Kiffin, he trusts Steve Sarkeesian. Like he gave them the offense and said, Okay, this is y'all's. I know it's not my expertise, but when you got a head coach that's consistently dabbling in the offense, that's when it causes problems. So I, I love that he went to an offensive-friendly scheme. He went to an offensive-friendly conference too. Like we can't underplay that either. Exactly. Quarter- There's
0: no defense. I'm pretty sure the law is you can't have a defense if you play in the Big Twelve unless you're pretty Baylor, sure a- Baylor,
1: TCU, and Oklahoma State. I think they they somehow get out of it. I don't know how they work <laughs> around the law. But those those three teams have had top ten defenses the past three years, which is just crazy. Uh, Baylor was Baylor and Oklahoma State were top five last year, which is just insane to think about. But He's good. He his talent is something that Texas hasn't seen in a long time. Colt McCoy, really and truly a game manager. And then every quarterback from him until now has just not been good. Plain and simple. I mean, they – The best managers they've had would be what, Sam Olinger? Yeah. And really and truly he couldn't win the big game. Yeah. Outside of the Oklahoma game, like, he just could not win you everything. Like, and, you know, when he got to the Big 12 championship, just got outplayed by Oklahoma. I mean – it was just that simple. So for me, Quinn Ewers, his athleticism, and him coming from a winning culture, being the leader that he was at his school, for me, I think it only it only helps Texas. It only helps him that Steve Sarkeesian is such a players-friendly coach, and it really has seemed to learn from his failure at USC. Being under Nick Saban, I think it only helped him. So I think I mean, Texas has a probably the best shot to win the conference in a long time, given that Lincoln-Riley, is not at Oklahoma, and they lost a lot of talent, so it's really going to come down when you're looking at it to Baylor and possibly Texas. I think K-State has an underrated team in the Big 12 this year. They have a lot of talent coming back, and Chris Klam is building a solid program, but I, I think right now, man, Texas is looking good.
0: I, I agree. Um Here's something interesting, because I we'll, we'll transition into this now, and I, I told you pre-show we were going to talk about it, so I'll go, we'll go ahead and talk about every year, Zach, there's this actually, hang on before we, before we get there, I I do have one more thing. I, I kind of want to comment on what you said and then kind of ask you a question off of that with Quinn Ewers, you know, he's going to, he's going to university of Texas. You know, when you play quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, there's an expectation you play shortstop for the New York Yankees there's a certain expectation. When you are the shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers, there's a certain expectation. At Texas, they want to win, and they haven't won in forever. How much pressure is on a guy like Quinn Ewers, who we talked about is already a five-star. You have a lot of talent. You've been hyped up now to be the next Trevor Lawrence. So how much pressure is on a guy like like uh, Quinn Ewers, and then we'll move off to Quinn Ewers' subject. Um,
1: <clears throat> for me, I don't feel like he has any pressure playing at Texas. I've been one in so long that I think, man, if he if he get if he wins one Big Twelve title, man, they might build a statue. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad they've been for the longest time. So I don't think the pressure stems from him playing at Texas. The pressure stems from him just being who he is. I don't care if Quinn Ewers committed to play at. I mean, throw a Randall Scott, Virginia. He would have the same pressure to win at Virginia than he would at Texas because he's the number one player in the country. He reclassified was still the number one player in the country. I mean, I don't think people understand. He was usually when people reclassify, they go down about 20, 30 spots, maybe even 50. He was the number one player in the 2022 class regardless, even though he wasn't (laughs) supposed to be. I mean, that's, that's insane. And so I think the pressure comes from him being so successful in high school, not that he was playing in Texas, because regardless of where he went, he was going to be expected to win a national title. That's why you recruit the number one players in the country, and it's to go win national titles. You look at the Trevor Lawrences of the world, even back when the Vince Youngs of the world, you recruit number one players, especially quarterbacks, to go win national titles, and that's the expectation for him.
0: All right, so we hear it every year that, Texas goes eight and five. The next year, we hear, you know, certain people saying, we're back. And then we hear it every year with USC when they get a, a quarterback that looks competent. Florida, not in a while, but when they look okay. You know, some of these older schools that were dominant, you know, early 2000s, it was Miami and USC. Then it became, you know, Florida. And then it was, you know, some of these other schools. When you look at a school, like USC. You look at a school like Texas. You look at a school like Florida, Miami. Schools that haven't been dominant in a long time. Miami's got a new head coach. You know Texas got a got a new quarterback. We just talked about. USC a new head coach and a new quarterback. Then you look at Florida, I think they're kind of going through a little quarterback mix up themselves. Um for me Florida is the least likely. I will ask you and then I'll, I'll tell you which team I think which team to you is closest to competing for a, a, a college football playoff spot. And is there one that can do it this season? Um, you know, for me, there's two that come to
1: mind. I think one is closer than the other. Well, I mean, no, so one is going to be better than the other, but one's probably going to have an easier path. And so for me, I think Mario Christian ball coming to Miami is going to turn them into a monster. I mean, I really don't think people understand how good Miami is going to be in two to three seasons. I mean, he is going to land probably 50% of the five and four stars in the in the South Beach area. It is going to be disgusting. And he was already doing it this past recruiting class. I mean, Oregon had the number three recruiting class in the country when he took the Miami job. I don't. I don't think people understand how good of a recruiter Mario Cristobal is. He was the recruiting coordinator for Alabama under Nick Saban, and then when he became the O line coach, was the primary recruiter for I believe like eight five stars over the next two years. That guy can recruit every single position, regardless. And he's an alum. And the and the biggest thing for me for Miami is they they had a problem committing money to athletics. Miami wasn't interested in building a new stadium, wasn't interested in upgrading facilities, and all those matter. There's a reason why when you look at the national championships over the past few years, those teams had the best facilities. Those teams have the most financial budgets, recruiting budgets. And before he signed to Miami, he said he was not going to take the job unless the on-paper the administration signed and said we're going to donate this amount of money to athletics so they're getting a new facility they're they're looking into building a new stadium on campus like they're taking all the proper steps on being a national title contender and when you add that with Kristen ball's recruiting the loaded staff he got i mean he has one of the best staffs top to bottom in college football tyler van dyke was a stud the final five or six games of the season they got in a bunch of transfers they landed a lot of top tier recruits but for me their path is a little bit more difficult and also I think he needs probably one more year to get it going so when you're asking me longevity wise who who's which of those teams are going to be back Miami in my opinion will win a national title in the next five years I I think it's going to be that hard to stop once Mario Cristobal gets it rolling and also it also kind of has to do with I think Nick Saban in the next five six seasons is is probably not going to be at Alabama I mean he's not going to coach for another 10 years I mean it's just that simple so Mario Cristobal is going to be prompt and he's going to like have it ready at the perfect time and we also don't know what Kirby smart short the team's going to look like Dabo's on the downswing I think he's going to time it right but if you're asking me who's going to get there first Man, the Pac 12 this year, man, you know, Utah is really good team, but they lost a lot of talent. I mean, when you look at Devin Lloyd and some of those players that they lost, how how are they how are they gonna replace them? Now, Kyle Whittingham, top 10 coach of college football. That dude and what he's built at Utah with the facilities and the lack of support that these other power five programs get, man, he has built a monster. For him to be winning Pac 12 titles at Utah is insane over USC, UCLA, Oregon. That' blows my mind but Oregon I think will take a step back under Dan Lanning year one they lost a lot of players to the transfer portal following Kristen Ball some decommitted and went to Texas I mean they lost them all over the country I don't think Oregon is going to be as good as they have been now a quarterback with Todd Thompson we'll see but they need to replace a lot of talent Kayvon Thibodeau comes to mind even Javon Holland last year they lost a lot of players but for me, USC men, with, with, with they're, they're pretty much taking that Oklahoma team and putting it in the Pac-12. And when you look at it, they're not going to run into a Baylor. They're not going to run into a TCU or a Kansas State that's just going to be that gritty team to grind them down. They really just got to get through Utah, in my opinion, next year. That's the only team that's going to stop Lincoln Riley for winning the Pac-12, and we all, we all know what it is, man. Branding matters in college football playoff rankings. If USC is undefeated, they're in, they're in the they're they're in the playoffs. Like it's not even going to be a discussion. So if you're going to ask me who gets there first, it's going to be USC. But if who's going to be the best team out of those, Miami is going to be a problem probably by next season.
0: Wouldn't it be something if you had Alabama, Ohio State, Miami, and USC? Man us power five elitists are going to be losing our minds. Am I right about that one? Well, um, here – do what? Oh, I said, oh, yeah. I I can already hear you all in the chat, man. (laughs) All right, so here's the thing. I think USC. I I think it's going to be USC. And I think it's a longevity thing, too. It depends if Lincoln Riley ever pulls the trigger on the NFL. I'm not so sure he will. Um, We've seen it work out for some guys, and then we've seen other guys looking at you, Urban Meyer where it hasn't worked out. Um, I, you brought in Caleb Williams, quarterback you're familiar with, a quarterback who's familiar with your, with your system. You brought in the receiver you were, you were already recruiting at Oklahoma, decommitted, then recommitted to USC. You look at what, or what he is as a, as a coach and where he is. He's easily a top three, top four coach in, in all of college football. You could probably argue the best, but you know, there's a guy in Alabama that has something to say about that. Then you look at where, and I think you talked about it, what conference he's playing in, and you know, where's the competition? And I don't see I'm not talking about just this season, but I'm saying for the next five years, I don't see where the competition is going to be for USC. I'm not saying it could be a it's going to be an Alabama where they just dominate the SEC for the majority of Nick Saban's career. But I could see for a long, long time it being very similar to Clemson and the ACC where there's not – there's a lot of good teams, Florida State, you know, UNC a couple of years ago, all these different things. But there's not that team that's going to come in and knock them off the top anytime soon if you ask me. So, for me, it's USC, and I think, like you said, they can do it for the long haul as well, and you could have two teams that in o three o you know o two o three o four o five were dominant college football teams right back at the top of all of college football. So, well, people, I don't know if people listen to your podcast. If they don't, they probably don't know that you are a college football podcast. But not only that, you you cover a lot of the SCS schools, you know, a lot, and that's where the I would feel a majority of your your show goes to is mm-hmm. kind of reaching to those FCC fan, FCS fans, and there's two guys I want to talk about because one my Indianapolis Colts have been linked to, and another one I've been seeing a, around the eight or nine spot in a lot of people's quarterback rankings lately. And I was like, man, what's 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 with this kid? So I went and watched this film, and I've fallen in love the last couple of weeks. And I don't usually do that with FCC fcs quarterbacks because i'm like who have they really played all and you're this an elitist. Other...
1: and you're an elitist it's all good <laughs> i understand
0: but i'm talking about cole johnson from james madison university who i believe is making the jump this year to the fbs yeah, they're, they're
1: playing in the Sun Belt.
0: and then i'm talking about cole kelly of southeastern Louisiana. those two guys to me are very interesting because i think they can work in the nfl and i don't say that often i mean there's the Trey Lance's of the world, the Carson Wentz of the world, but I was not sold on the guy like Easton stick. I didn't think Easton stick was going to work. I I just didn't. And I watched these guys play. And I say, if Cole Johnson goes to a team like Indianapolis or if Cole Johnson goes to a team, like, you know, let's say Carolina gets Jimmy G. And then they, they put in a Cole Johnson in the late round. And he kind of learns behind a guy like Jimmy G or, or even a Cole Kelly couple of years from now, you could be hearing these guys' names starting quarterbacks. Now, I'm not saying top 10. I'm not saying they're going to dominate in the NFL, but I'm saying these are guys who could be legitimate starting quarterbacks or at least long term NFL backups. And you feel comfortable with these guys being your backup quarterbacks. Listen, you cover the FCS more than I do. Talk to me about Cole Kelly and talk to me about Cole Johnson.
1: Um, I mean, for me, I'm a lot higher on Kelly than I am uh, Cole Johnson. I mean, when you look at just, so I'm not going to compare his game necessarily, but when you look physically attribute-wise in terms of arm strength, size, athleticism, Cole Kelly looks like if Josh Allen made himself on Madden. I mean, really and truly, I mean, he's 6'7", 260 men and was the leading rusher for his team. Like, put that in perspective. I mean, how do you stop that? And, you know, in the FCS playoffs, um, Cole Kelly uh, actually led Southeastern Louisiana to a championship in their division, which is the Southland and a first round win over FAMU. And they ended up actually losing to James Madison and Cole Johnson in, in the second round. But, I mean, when you look at Cole Kelly's stats, man, and the production that he had, this is a guy who, who through over 550 times last year, man. That's, That's a, a lot. lot of passes. That's a lot. He completed 74% of them.
0: Is that more Is that more than any quarterback in the country, including FBS? Yes. Yes.
1: I, I mean, figured. 74% completion percentage
0: on 550-plus passes. That's unreal. I What mean, kind of offense is he playing? because I, Here's the thing, because I feel like a lot of guys like Timmy Chang and Colt Brennan threw the ball a lot when they played at Hawaii. And then you look at Graham Harrell, who played at Texas Tech, and he played in the Air Raid. And people were like, well, no kidding that they have all these cool stats because, you know, of the offense they play in. Is he playing an air raid style that that also may be bringing them down as well? Or is he playing a more of a pro style offense?
1: So so, I mean, it. it's not a it's not an air raid because the air raids a lot of like deep balls and things like that. Um, For him, it's in their conference. Um like running the ball doesn't really work very well and they didn't really have a very good running back at southeastern Louisiana so they would they would line up in a five wide four wide with the tight end possibly a running back to be blocking spread and so their run game was screen passes their run game was short was was short passes from Cole Kelly but um they just didn't have the O-line to run the football so a lot of the prowess came on him and then In the red zone, man, when you're 6'7", 260, I'm running five wide, empty in the box, and I'm just going to send Cole Kelly downhill at you, and you aren't stopping him. I mean, that was what they did, but when you look, he threw for 5,100 yards, 44 touchdowns, and only 10 picks on 550-plus passes. That He's just so efficient, man, and the best way to describe Cole Kelly's game is he's just going to pick you apart. I mean, he's just going to carve you up down the field. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to be rattled by pressure, which I think is his best attribute. When the pocket collapses, he knows he's big enough to see over the pressure, and he knows if you get his, your hands on him, you're probably not going to be able to take him down by yourself. And he's. And I able... also
0: think, uh, real quick, didn't mean to cut you off, but I also think mm-hmm. not being rattled by like pressure coming at you by the defensive end also could translate into. Not being rattled by the fact that you were drafted in the sixth round, fifth round, and you have to compete to make the team. You're just going to go out there. You're going to compete, and you're going to do those things. You're not going to be rattled by the fact that if you have a bad game, you know. Because if if you're playing a preseason game and you realize, man, if I throw three picks here, I, I might not make it to next week, you're you're probably going to be a little timid with throwing the football. But I think if you're a guy who's not afraid of the pressure, a guy who's not afraid to do those type of things, like you're telling me Cole Kelly is, it's going to – he's going to have that gunslinger mentality where he's like, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I'm going to play into my strengths, and if it backfires, it backfires, but I have a confidence enough that I'm going to come in next week and make up for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a great game against James Madison. That was probably his no, worst game didn't. of the season. Yes. I mean, but also on the flip side, James Madison has a legit defense. I mean, that was a top 10 FCS defense. And they got guys who are gonna play on Sundays on that D line. And they, they them in North Dakota State had a just a drag out game in the semifinals in the Fargo dome a week after that. But for Cole Kelly, man. The size is there. The arm strength is there. And also, he's a mature kid, man. He, uh, you know, he was at Arkansas and was actually going to start for Arkansas and had some off-the-field issues that forced him to transfer yeah. out. And but ever since he got to Southeastern, man, he's been the team leader, no trouble. And he just kind of – he seems like he has his head on his shoulders. And so, for me, regardless if he ever starts a game in the NFL, and I think he has the talent to – one of those career backup guys that is just going to cause no problems, going to sit back, make his money. If you need him to come in, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, he can he can win you a game or two. But you know, depending on his ceiling, I don't know if he's you know a Pro Bowl guy or nothing like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a shot to start at the NFL. I, for me, I'm a big fan of Cole Kelly. I think um, looking at his physical attributes. Someone in the fourth, fifth, maybe sixth round, I don't see why you wouldn't take a flyer on a guy like that uh, because he has all the makings of somebody who can be a contributor for a really good team.
0: I mean, heck, if you take one on Denenshi or whatever his name is, you might as well take one on Cole (laughs) Kelly. I like like Johnson a lot, too. I think Cole Johnson is a big arm. Um, I think he's a little bit more mobile than people are giving him credit for. He rolls out a lot, makes a lot of throws on the run. For me... I'm a big throwing motion guy with quarterbacks. It's a little long. It's a little Sam Darnold ish. It's a little too loose for my liking, but I think that's something that I'm not saying can be fixed because you have to understand. I think what people don't understand is these quarterbacks are throwing the way that they've been throwing since probably 11, 10 years old. So the thousands of hours it's going to take to reconstruct your brain to re-throw the football in a new throwing motion is going to take a lot of I mean we're talking tens of thousands of hours throwing a football to retrain that but I think he can I think he can be successful again I'm not sure I'm looking at maybe like a Nate McMillan type or a guy like uh who was the guy that just played for Heineken I think he could have a, a Taylor Heineke type of thing where he comes in and he plays for a little bit, kind of bring, be that bridge starter until you find that guy and then a the good backup, if you ask me. That's what, that's what I think Cole Johnson can do in the NFL.
1: Yeah, you know, he's a mysterious – like I would say like a mysterious prospect, I guess if that's the word, because he was not very good like before this season. I mean, I'm like looking at it here. I mean, he had 11, pit, 11 touchdowns to seven picks in 2020 in the short and COVID season. I mean, he was not very good. Then he comes out, throws for 3,700 yards, 41 touchdowns, and four picks. It's just like something clicked on this kid. And like, that's why James Madison was so tough to beat this year. They didn't win their conference. Shockingly, Villanova got one up on him and won the tiebreaker. But um, for James Madison, man, the question mark for me is, is how much did he benefit from the players around him? Because, The identity of James Madison was smash-mouth football. They had two great running backs, one of which Percy – probably is going to be on the NFL roster next year. They were just going to pound you into oblivion. And Cole Johnson was really good working off the play action. And so for me, when I look at that team, they had a wide receiver, Antoine Wells, who just transferred to South Carolina to play with Spencer Radler. The other one, I believe, declared for the draft. And the offensive line was arguably probably second best in the FCS. So how much was Cole, uh, not how much was Cole Johnson helped by his supporting cast? You look at Cole Kelly, nobody else on that team's even sniffing the NFL. I mean, th- that Southeastern Louisiana team, if you take Cole Kelly off of it, probably doesn't make the playoffs. And so how much was Cole Johnson helped by his surrounding cast? Because North Dakota State rattled him late. And they really got to him. He threw some two major interceptions, including the game sealer to my guy to my to my guy Destin man Destin Talbert um, from North Dakota State, and he he picked him off the end zone, and that was a wrap on their season. So for me, I'm questioning his ceiling a little bit, but I do think I agree with you where he can be kind of like a Taylor Heineke and really be in the league. Both of these guys are pros, uh, you know, on off the field and in the locker room. So. You know, I, I think Kelly has a little bit higher, high, higher ceiling than Johnson does, if you were going to ask me, though. I just feel like he proved it for longer, and I wonder if it was just a one-year wonder for Cole Johnson with that 41 touchdowns and four picks.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fair question to ask. Um, I want to I ask you this. I guess it's kind of a double-ended question. Um, my, my alum, the college I went to, the University of Southern Indiana, Basketball-wise, making the jump to Division One, and I don't think it's going to be a very good year because when you make the jump, it's a different level. I don't care what anybody says; it's a different level. the The competition is different. James Madison's making that jump, and I understand the Sun Belt, and there's not it's not like they're playing Alabama twice a year or once a year or anything, but it's different. I mean, I, maybe the gap between the Sun Belt and the FCS isn't that big, but it's still like FBS versus FCS. So there's that. What kind of impact do you think they'll have on the FBS? But then the back half of that question, I think the one I want to ask more importantly is, why is North Dakota State not making the jump? I mean, you talk about how dominant they've been. You talk about the the people they've put into the NFL left and right, especially the quarterbacks. Like, why, why are they not making the jump, and why is James Madison doing it? Well, James
1: Madison um... – For one, uh, the the Sun Belt, the Sun Belt, the CUSA, and I I was, you know, the FCS in general, like conference realignment has been a big thing at the FCS level between the SOCON, the Southland, the SWAC, the MIAC, the Big South, the CAA, all those teams. And James Madison was the only team to lead the CAA. Uh, they dominated that conference, they've been a perennial playoff contender, have a natty recently. But for me, you look at the market that they pick up for the Sun Belt, that Virginia coast market. You got some big cities with Norfolk and and those right around that area. So for me, the Sun Belt it makes sense. And Appalachian State used to play very similar football to James Madison, and they see the path Appalachian State took. They see the pass, path that Georgia Southern took, who were FCS powers before they were in the FBS. I don't think people remember how good Appalachian State and Georgia Southern both were at the FCS level. I mean, both of them won, I believe, four-peated at the FCS level before they moved up.
0: Let me ask you this then, since you're bringing up a point. You talk about Appalachian State, you talk about Georgia Southern. This buries the question to me: Would you rather be dominant at the at the FCS level, or a you know somebody gets pounded on week in and week out at the FBS
1: level? Um, I mean, I, I think it depends on what the ultimate goal is, and every university is different. The money, you know, people people ignore the finances outside of like the Power Five. They don't understand the financial structure of a lot of these universities, and like me covering FCS. Talking to ADs, talking to coaches on my show, like I've kind of gotten a different perspective. I mean, the money to be the money between a high level FCS team and the worst FBS team is massive, because if you look at the payout of the worst bowl game, it's millions of dollars. If you just make it to like the Bahamas Bowl. And, you, and then you also got the TV revenue sharing contracts and all these group of five conferences. The the, the MAC has a deal. The CUSA has a deal. The the Sunbelt has a deal. The AAC has a deal. And that brings so much money. And when you look at the FCS playoffs, James, Matt, so the way the FCS playoffs work, you have, you have to have an understanding. We're, we're about to just have a whole FCS lesson here. But to host a playoff game in the first round, so the top eight teams in the FCS get – get seeded in bot weeks. So you know you're going to host a game the second week. But in the first round, the two teams that get matched up have to bid to host a playoff game. So you have to put in a bid when you're selected and you don't know what the other team bid. Whoever bid the highest gets to host the game. James Madison and their management really didn't understand the fine. They knew they had the booster backing. So they would just be bidding like outrageous amounts of money to host and they were losing like $600,000 per playoff run that they were having. So they were operating at a deficit in the FCS playoffs. If you go to the Sun Belt and you make the, what is it, the Meineke Car Care Bowl or something, you make like $3.5 million just going to that bowl game, regardless if you're 6-6. and And then you get the TV uh, revenue sharing of the Sun Belt. And on top of that, you look at the Sun Belt, a lot of those teams have been successful. Coastal Carolina, top 25 team coming from the FCS. Appalachian State, top 15 team coming from the FCS. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have moved up from the FCS level and been very, very successful and are making a lot of money. So for James Madison, it was a financial gain and also – the Sunbelt doesn't offer a lot of teams like first dibs to come straight from FCS to the Sunbelt. You usually got to go to like the CUSA, go independent, similar to like a UMass or someone like that is right now. And there you lose a ton of money. So James Madison and their administrators thought it was an opportunity they couldn't pass up. You go to arguably with Cincinnati leaving the AAC, you might be going to the best group of five conference. You got Louisiana Lafayette. Coastal Carolina, Appalachian State, Georgia State has had some success. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in the Sun Belt. So, James Madison just felt like it was an opportunity they couldn't pass up. Now, for the North Dakota State thing, man, this I don't think you know you're sitting on a landmine on this one because it could blow up underneath you. That is very controversial in FCS spaces because all the other teams want them to move up because they're tired of getting beat to death in North Dakota year. State. But when you look at it, man – um You know, they play in the MVFC, the Missouri Valley. And when you look at a map of conferences that surround them, the Mountain West doesn't make sense for them. And and also, one, let me just preface this. They haven't, to your your shock, they've never been offered to come to FBS because no conference wants the travel cost increase that it's going to take to add them. So I, I did all this research and I had an episode on it. To play in the Mountain West, like the Mountain West is centered, like the median distance is like lower Nevada because of Hawaii. So if North Dakota State gets added to there, it's like a 200% increase in their travel cost each year. And the TV deal is not great for the Mountain West. So they actually would be operating at a deficit if they went to the Mountain West and they haven't offered because they're too far away. They discussed it, couldn't happen. The next closest conference is the MAC. North Dakota State has said, they're from their AD's mouth, they don't want to play on Tuesday night. They said nobody in North Dakota is coming to a game on a Tuesday night, and so they don't want to lose their attendance because they sell out their stadium every year, and the travel costs would increase by like 100% to go play in the, in the MAC because you have teams over on the Eastern Seaboard. And then the, 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 really and truly, man, the, the conference that fits them geographically the most is the Big 12 possibly the big 10 and you can't jump as an fcs program to power five they don't have the money they don't have they don't have the resources because man shocking to you i know it's gonna be shocking to people north dakota state doesn't have a top 10 fcs budget man they're doing this spending less than other teams and you also look at The conferences, when you look at conference expansion, a big thing is with the AAC and the big 12 this year, they wanted TV markets. They wanted UCF to get the Orlando TV market. They wanted Houston to get the Houston market. They wanted Cincinnati to get that Ohio market. It's all about TV markets, man. Do you know how, do you know how many people really care about the Fargo TV market? Not very many, not, not many. And, and on top of that, man, right. So Appalachian state was at the FCS level in the SOCON from 1970 up until 2014. Do you know how long North Dakota state's been at the FCS level? Since 2004. we we're, were for a the NAIA. D2. D2. Until 2004. So people are trying to expedite the process because they're so good at football and they've built such a powerhouse program, but that, team is just an average FCS team everywhere else so you're looking at it as if they move up their basketball is going to be atrocious their baseball is going to be atrocious and they're going to be hemorrhaging money and what's going to happen is they're going to end up like UConn and UMass get kicked out of their conference for other sports and then you're independent and they're talking about UConn and UMass having to go back down to FCS because nobody wants them because they suck so for North Dakota State the AD has said we want to move up but it's but just could, been
0: too soon. Sorry, uh, could they do what, like, I'm a Butler basketball fan, and Butler in the College Basketball competes in the Big East. Uh, they don't do that in football, obviously, they're FCS. But could they not do that? Could they not, let's so, say, compete in the Mountain West in football, but baseball, basketball, stay at the FCS level? Well, so for
1: basketball, that works because you got the Villanovas, you got the Butlers, but there's never been a team to compete D1 in football and not the rest of the sports. And so I just think a lot of conferences are hesitant to take that chance on them. And also, I don't know if North Dakota State's even been offered that. But based on what I know, they've never even been given a conference offer because they don't fit geographically with anybody. And so the reason they haven't moved up is because financially it doesn't make sense for the conferences. It doesn't make sense for them. And I mean, when you're looking at a dude, I mean, as an FCS school, they're not even old enough to drink. They've been a they've been a D1 program for 18 years. Compare that to some of the teams that they're going to be facing. I mean, what they've done, man, and this is why I say no disrespect to Alabama. The greatest dynasty in sports is North Dakota State because they don't, they don't have the financial backing backing like anybody else in the FCS. They're in Fargo, North Dakota. Do you know how hard it is to recruit to Fargo, North Dakota? Like I, I have an insider that I talk to every day getting information from my show. It was negative like 30 a week ago there and it was snowing. Uh, How are they recruiting kids from Florida? I need the answer. They've had three different coaches in this run of national championships that they've had. They've had two top five draft picks. Christian Watson's probably going to be a first-round draft pick this year, and they're doing all this, man, with less money than everybody else. That It's remarkable. I mean, it's almost like you will never see this again. And this year, man, they've returned... I'm trying to think off the top of my head. They've returned, I believe, 18 of 22 starters from the team that just won the national championship last year. Is their
0: quarterback going to be that kid from QB1 beyond the lights, the Iowa State transfer?
1: The who? The which transfer?
0: The Iowa State transfer. I think that's where it went. no, uh, no. They have a both their quarterbacks are coming
1: back too. They got Quincy Patterson from Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's where it was got, Quincy Patterson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they run a two QB system too, which, which Do is they? Just insa- yeah. So Quincy Patterson was the original starting quarterback. They used him as a wildcat, and Cam Miller took over the starting QB position. But they have a four star now that they landed out of the state of Nebraska that I've heard looks like it, they said he's better than Carson Wentz at North Dakota state. And they said he might take over this year. So they got, they got, they just got a bunch of studs, man. And so for me, (laughs) as much as it makes sense, find football wise that they should move up because dude, this is the wildest stat they've won six straight games against power five teams. The last two were ranked top 15. Since I went Iowa Iowa state, I mean, that doesn't even, that should never happen. I'm sorry. Like it, it doesn't make sense how North Dakota state's a thing, you know, uh, just a spoil. I'll, I'll tell your listeners, I'll be the first ones to know, I'm actually working on getting their head coach on the show to talk about everything. So that'll be a really dope thing to hear, Matt Entz. But, man, when, when, Alabama, when you look at the Alabama dynasty, they've had Nick Saban through it all. Do you know how hard it is to win nine national championships in 11 years with three coaches and QBs leafing and going and the COVID season? And also, can you imagine if Alabama ranked 15th in FBS spending?
0: Well, it's not that hard in the COVID season when you play one game to show off your quarterback, and they play. Well, no, so so the FCS
1: duty. technically played a spring season. Oh. So yeah, so they played like the exhibition game that didn't count for nothing, and then they played a real season um, in the spring, and they made the semifinals. I think Sam they were the, they they lost to Sam Houston before they went on to win the national title, who's also moving up to FBS. who's going to be in the CUSA with Jacksonville State this year or next year.
0: Well. It was a great show, Zach. Uh, hey, Matt, appreciate you. Next time you want to come on, you want to argue after UCF wins three games and everyone's talking about them going to the national championship again after they go three and zero. We can come in here. and We can argue why I don't think they're going to the national championship. Um, but no, uh, you're the best. You're the best. You're the best in the biz. I don't get. I don't care what anybody says. I'm glad that you're a you're a guest. Um, We're going to have to try to do this – we should try to do this weekly during the college football season if you have time. I know you're a busy busy man. You you make a lot of videos, a lot of podcasts. But during the college football season, I want to try to do this on a weekly basis. Hey, man, I'm down. Anytime you need me, man, you know you can reach out. All right. Hey, real quick, plug your show, what you're working on, your social media, those type of things.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, um, the Blue Bloods. Uh, it's youtube.com backslash C backslash the Blue Bloods. Uh, social media is at the underscore Blue Bloods. Um, yeah, man, we got all your college football content, man. Only podcast to cover all levels. Um, now we're approaching our 100th player interview, man. So definitely come show some support for these, ki- for these players, these student athletes, man. Love having them on the show. Love promoting their stories and got a lot of cool things coming down the pipeline man so appreciate you having me and you, y'all can check us out there
0: hey thanks for hooking me up with michael batting though uh, Rooting hey, for, for sure. him hey
1: I, I love him man that's my guy
0: yeah he's he's the best Rooting for him in the draft i hope he gets drafted again you guys are listening to this after the draft so you know let's all i hope he gets drafted if not at least signs as a uh as an un drafted free agent or maybe he'll find a place at a home like the XFL or the USFL but um hey a big thank you uh, college football I can't wait for it we didn't talk spring games like I like I had planned on it but that's okay uh, when we get close to the college football season I'll bring you back on we'll talk college football again maybe we'll argue a little bit more maybe we won't who knows but <laughs> great show thanks for coming on I I love your work I love what you do and uh, thanks for being a guest uh, for you guys listening. Listen, I can only do so much. I can only share on social media and my friends can share on social media. It's you guys that I believe help make the show grow. So do me a favor. Share this with your friends that like listening to sports talk radio or sports podcasts. Share it in their work email, their personal email, sign their DMs, spam them. Spam them as much as you can to help the show grow. So they'll give it a listen. They'll get so annoyed with you. They're like, fine, I'll give it a listen. Please do that. Help the show grow because I really appreciate it. and You guys help it grow. Without you, it won't get anywhere. Um, a big thank you again to Zach for coming on. And for you guys listening, have a great day, great night, afternoon, whatever it is, you have a good one. And I'll see you next week.